33, 34, 35. Hi, I'm John Cena, and I know how to count. In fact, knowing how to count could change your life on Super Bowl Sunday, like help you win $1 million. If you count all the bottles of delicious Mountain Dew Major Melon, our new watermelon flavor, in our commercial. to the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. My name is Brittany Ramos. I'm Ramon Alawalia. And I'm Will Item. It is our post-Super Bowl episode. So guys, forget about how you're all doing. Let's just talk about the Super Bowl. First thoughts, go. I mean, it, obviously, it's a unique game this year. This was very different. Um, I had some coworkers who went down to the game. They said it just felt different and... Rightfully so, but I guess I got to ask, I, I got to take my Canadian bias out of this. What'd you guys think of the halftime show? I have to say, I was a little curious where the additional $7 million were that The weekend supposedly invested in. I thought he, he held his own and, and did a good job. The stage was amazing. But in seeing other halftime shows, I was just a little curious. Apparently, the NFL provides $13 million. So with a total of $20 million, that's what that got you from a production perspective. It did feel like a little bit of a Grammy-type performance. However, I will say the halftime show really is appealing to a very younger demographic. And so this under 18, under 25, like that might be really important to them, and they may really liked it. So that's also very something to consider, whereas the 60-year-old was probably like, have Bruce Springsteen play or something like that. You know what I mean? So, Yeah, and I think, too, you brought up a great point. You know, The weekend from a, a viral perspective, right, was almost like the king of TikTok with his dance and all the, the Gen Zs for the last year doing his dances to his songs. So great point there, and especially as the NFL tries to tap into that platform and tries to tap into that younger demographic, I think it, it probably hit home from for them in that aspect. Spotify streaming numbers for the weekend. Uh, after the big game aired, Blinding Lights and Save Your Tears were the top two streaming tracks in the following hours. And then, of all of his other songs, let's see, House of Balloons, Glass Table Girls saw more than a 1,100% increase. Can't Feel My Face saw more than a 340% increase. The Hills saw more than a 235% increase. And Starboy saw a 230% increase in listening. So wherever his money went, it at least helped out his streaming numbers. That's for sure. It's a very interesting dynamic uh, with the halftime show. But Brittany, I know tarps are not your favorite. What did you think of the digital tarps? First off, I was shook. <laughs> I, I had to do a, a lot of double takes to see if it was a different sideline that I just didn't pay attention to. If, and then I realized these are digital. So I had no idea until right now. I thought we were going to talk about the amazingness of how they switched out the tarps. So I'm an idiot. Uh, they were digital then? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, sorry. How did you not know, Brittany? I thought that was like publicly well, like, oh, announced. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm saying I, I had to like, I had, when I was watching, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was like, oh my God, they just switched. That was Pepsi. And now yep. it's DraftKings. And now it's, I had to like, because you know, when you're, when you don't know this stadium, like, for example, like, I, did, I don't know Tampa Stadium. So I didn't know, okay. No one does. One, 
Is that it is, exactly? Is this one like the west sideline? Is this the mm. east? So I thought at first, okay, these were just different sidelines, and then I kept seeing different brands, and I was I was shook. They've been hiding this this entire time. That would have made our lives so much easier, and it looked fantastic on broadcast. Oh my gosh, so great! And full color logos, rude. <laughs> well, it is Tuesday which means the ad meter has come out from USA Today. There are a couple of other uh, publications, though, that have given their own rating system for the best commercials for the Super Bowl. So I'm just going to ask you guys, general question, who won the Super Bowl in terms of Super Bowl commercials? Yeah, I thought that there was a, a interesting mix this year. And I, you know, shout out to a, a great partner of ours who came in number one and two in, in USA Today, um, Rocket Mortgage being very clever, utilizing Tracy Morgan, who's always just a, a fun watch and you can't not like the guy. So he's always going to bring the humor and entertainment. Um, I also thought State Farm kind of hit it home with Paul Rudd being a Chiefs fan. I loved like the connection there. And then uh, the Drake spot I thought went really well. Um, I was a little underwhelmed. I thought that, you know, the commercials, I didn't have like this, this, oh my God moment. I thought that there were a lot of good ones, but I, I wish I had a little bit more. I love to pay attention and really dig into this, but this year I wasn't even able to focus. So not a lot of them actually really stuck with me. I think one point, the whole idea of like Anheuser-Busch like not advertising is completely this made up hype that really I don't I don't understand it because the whole, they, had the, they had Bud Light, they had a bunch of other things that are different brands, but sure, it wasn't the Budweiser, it wasn't the Clydesdales, all that stuff, which are traditionally usually good. I fall in line with usually liking the commercials that have a really powerful message or are really funny. So Brittany, to your point, the State Farm commercial resonated with me. They use their celebrities properly, whereas I feel like the Uber Eats one kind of fell flat for me just a little bit. And I was a little confused about what they were trying to do there. Um, and especially to spend $5.5 million plus celebrity fees doesn't add up. The other one I really liked was more of a heartstring one, which was the Toyota commercial. That one really got me. And I, that one was one that I kind of took away, but I always follow um, Dr. Delakis, who uh, is on Twitter, kind of giving his little take by take on, on each commercial. But Will, which ones did you uh, kind of enjoy or find that were um, interesting? So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say what my favorites are based on the numbers. Uh, so there are three different sites that I'm looking at uh, to figure out what the best commercial is. Of course, there's the USA Today ad meter uh, voted on by anybody. Uh, there's also YouTube, which tells us how many people actually viewed uh, the commercials. I think it's probably within that 12 to 24 hour period after they aired. And then also Adage partnered up with uh, iSpot to figure out how many TV ad impressions, earned online views, and social impressions came from the commercials. And I believe that was also over about a 24 to you know 48 hour period. So AdMeter says that the top three commercials were uh, both of the Rocket Mortgage commercials. And then third was Amazon's uh, Alexa's Body with Michael B. Jordan, which Funny. even I can say that is a tall drink of water, uh, that Michael B. Jordan. So absolutely understand how that got into the top three. So that was the AdMeter. Uh, YouTube's numbers showed that Amazon's commercial was number one from the views. Jeep was second. Bruce Springsteen makes a lot of sense, creates a lot of buzz. But iSpot is the one that really points out what my favorite commercial was. Uh, the top three were uh, Jeep was number three. Number two was Amazon. 
Number one was the Mountain Dew Major Melon commercial. So of all the 56 advertisers in 67 spots, there were a total of 64 billion social impressions. Of those 64 billion impressions, 51 billion came from the Mountain Dew commercial alone. And that is because of the call to action that Mountain Dew had, where it was you needed to count exactly the number of major melon Mountain Dew bottles that were in the commercial. If you got that number right and tweeted it out by also resharing the commercial, you could win a million dollars. And I just thought it was a genius way to get people to not only watch the commercial time and time and time again, but to then share it out with your own social audience as well too. So according to the digital share of voice, that one commercial alone had 21.78% digital share of voice. And that's of 67 spots. Uh, only second best was Amazon with 13.95 and Jeep with 10.64. So basically Mountain Dew almost doubled any other commercial in terms of digital share of voice. So for me, that is the number one commercial. Wow. I didn't even notice that there was a call to action on that. It might've been just because I wasn't paying attention, but that's an incredibly smart way to leverage the amount of money that you're going to spend on the commercial. They also had John Cena in the commercial too, I think, driving the driving the car. Yeah. So I, re I remember it being just very unusual, which I think is what the drink is anyway. So, well, maybe you didn't notice it was John Cena because you can't see him. <laughs> That's terrible, <laughs> but I'll go with it. I'll go with it. And that won't be the only WWE reference that we have during this episode. So before we get into the interview, any other thoughts on the commercials? Yeah, something that stood out, but it was a very small window of time was the Reddit commercial. Obviously, Reddit has had a lot of press lately for a number of reasons, um, including GameStop and AMC and all of these different things going on. And they actually bought a five-second spot, yes, five seconds, with their entire marketing budget to have this message of what happens when people come together and, and do things and make things happen. And it was such a small amount of time that most people didn't see it. I actually saw it kind of on social media following up, so I will not take credit in that I caught that moment. But... I thought it was just very interesting in, in the messaging and also their commitment to the message by spending their entire marketing budget for it, but really, really unique and what they were trying to do there. And um, I, I thought it was just something that I was a little bit surprised by, but uh, once I, I saw the message, understood what they were trying to say, I thought it was a, a really unique kind of guerrilla marketing type of approach and to do it at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I didn't even see the Reddit commercial when it happened, but because of social media and the way that Well, the Reddit commercial was only, they only purchased it in major markets on the local affiliate. So like gotcha. Oklahoma City and Kansas City probably wouldn't have caught it, but like New York, mm -hmm. LA, Chicago, they probably did it with their way local viral. So, yep, that's all you needed to do. So, well, I'm sure we could go on forever talking about the Super Bowl commercials, but now we need to shift our gears and go from football to hockey because our guest this week is Cole Cook, VP of Strategy and Business Intelligence for the Arizona Coyotes. Armand, he's another SDSU guy. That he is. Just happened to be that way. Can't help it. So we'll get into this interview, but of course, we're going to do a disclaimer. If there's one piece of feedback that we've gotten from friends and colleagues, it's that 
sometimes Armand and I talk a little too much. So for those of you who have that feedback, you're going to hate this episode. Brittany, why is that? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> after many attempts of restarting my computer and trying to re-log on, I unfortunately failed miserably. Some technical difficulties, if you will. So shout out to our IT team who is now going to provide me with a new laptop because of this disaster. We had some technical difficulties, so you're not going to hear a lot of Brittany in this interview, but she is going to make a stunning cameo about 20 minutes in. So definitely stick around for that. And we promise that there will be way more Brittany in our next episode two weeks from now. With a working computer. With a working computer. And with that said, now that I have an operating computer today, here is our interview with Cole Cook from the Arizona Coyotes. All right. Welcome to the podcast. We have Cole Cook, the VP of Strategy and Business Intelligence at the Arizona Coyotes and also a fellow San Diego State Sports MBA. Cole, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion today. I've been trying to catch up on all of your great work since the launch and really excited to be a part of this. So thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate you coming on and providing a unique perspective here, um, given that you are in a unique market with a unique sport, uh, hockey in the desert for those that know, I mean, from Winnipeg. So that was my team from up until 1996 till they moved to, to Phoenix. So um, let me start off here where we usually start with our guests. And if you can kind of give us a quick background into how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, thanks, Armand. I think we like to call that hockey the hard way here in the desert. That's kind of our tagline for it. But uh, a little background on myself. I uh, grew up in Michigan, went to grad school at San Diego State, as you alluded to. Um, while I was in grad school, I landed in an internship with Wasserman on their consulting side. So doing lots of consulting on the sponsorship measurement and tracking space where we were lucky enough to work together. I'm on a, with you at the Chiefs. And then from my time at Wasserman, uh, the Coyotes were actually one of our clients on some other projects. And it was kind of always my goal coming out of undergrad that I wanted to work in hockey, just growing up in the Midwest. Hockey has kind of always been a part of my blood. And to do it in a place where I can play golf 365 days a year, it, it really made sense. And I'm really happy here with the Coyotes. So it's, it's been a good transition. Absolutely. Well, you know, we appreciate the hockey here on this. We had Davey Chadwick from the Philadelphia Flyers a couple episodes ago. And one of the things that we kind of wanted to talk to you about was more of the business intelligence side of things. So obviously hockey in, you said the hard way in Arizona there. I'd be curious if there are any kind of key outline liars or things that maybe you've seen when you're thinking about data that you've been excited to kind of bring to the organization in your short time there. You've been there for about two years now. So maybe you can kind of talk about that. Yeah, I think um, I've taken a unique approach to kind of the BI space. Traditionally, it's very ticket sales driven, which is fair given that ticketing data is usually the largest data source and the revenue impact there is also quite large. But given my background on the sponsorship consulting, I've really honed in with our sponsorship group on valuation of assets, making sure that our rate card is substantial. And especially on the social media side, I think as more and more teams, especially now with the pandemic, are shifting to digital and social assets, there's a ton of money there for brands and teams to monetize. And the opportunity is, I think, just we're at the tip of the iceberg, right? You look at some of these brands like Barstool and 
like spitting triplets. We have Biz, obviously. He's one of our ambassadors and play-by-play guy. And that guy crushes it with brands it's content within Barstool and what they're doing with Spit and Chicklets on YouTube. So I think the teams and properties are starting to realize how much value there is in the eyeballs and engagement. And now we really got to take it to the next level. But it is a unique setup. Um, I Just for context, um, our ticketing analytics, we work very closely together, but uh, we have a gentleman who actually sits in the ticket sales department who he doesn't actually report to me. So a little bit different structure than some other BI teams around the league. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned your history with Wasserman because, you know, I don't know too many people who are on the BI side of things who came from a sponsorship background or even, you know, an agency background as well, too. So I think that's really valuable to not only see BI from, you know, the ticketing analytics and data side, but also kind of understanding what it is that a brand might want to see in terms of metrics. What data do they want to see to justify the cost? Um, So you talk about the rate card and social particularly. That's actually been a passion of mine this year to try to figure out where are the gaps in our social media evaluations? So how have you gone about figuring out the rate card for social media assets? Are you already taking the content series and just figuring out the impressions, engagements, and putting a value? Or are you maybe looking at other teams' best practices to say, what if we created this entirely new piece of content because it's engaging for that team in the NHL? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of it comes down to the prospects that are in the pipeline and on our kind of partner roster and how can we align with their goals. Um, We've taken the approach across each of the platforms to kind of come up with what we call a three-tiered approach. So we've got a gold standard that's your behind the scenes content. You have to spend a minimum of X with us to get your brand integrated with that type of content. Then we've got the silver, which is more just final score graphics, still very valuable content. And then there's the uh, bronze tier that's the trigger promotions or some of the things that might not be as high of a spend. And we've tried to really justify not only from a brand investment level, but how much time is our production team spending on a piece of content and make sure that that aligns with what the partner is paying. Because as you guys know, these content series, they're not cheap to produce from a headcount and bandwidth perspective. And so we need to make sure that net at the bottom line at the end of the day, are we actually generating net revenue for the, the brand and the, the club? That uh, gold, silver, bronze pricing sounds familiar. I believe Isn't that's it? from Wasserman. Is that, yeah. I think I've seen that in the I mean, deck somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> We're using Wasserman's methodology. And then we did a case study with Facebook too, where they kind of advised us on some things. So again, I think that's a great way to kind of approach it. And again, obviously bandwidth is super important how have you guys found any um, insights or advantages or things that you've been able to adapt and maybe potentially get sponsors on board, knowing that you know the traditional sponsor assumes that there's only going to be 25% of people in the building, therefore it's 25% of value. How are you guys trying to communicate that or help partners pivot into the digital kind of future and of what if sponsorship has become? Yeah, it's a, a great question, Armand. We've spent a, a ton of time on the, the make good approach for the season, especially with the limited capacity. I think first thing that comes to mind is with a lot of the bigger brands that their goal is more impressions and brand awareness, we've committed to them that we will do a, a branded content series that has paid amplification behind it. So while you might not be getting a million impressions in arena this year on your dasher board or something that 
is specific to the bowl signage, we can get you those eyeballs and impressions in a, in a targeted way as well. If you're trying to reach hockey moms in Arizona, let's put together a Facebook campaign together that has $5,000 behind it and that can reach a million people. Or I think there's a common misconception of how far a dollar goes on Facebook from an advertising perspective within the sports industry. Like, obviously everybody on the marketing side knows, but I think when you tell the sponsorship team, like, hey, if you set aside 500 bucks for this campaign, that's gonna get you a lot of eyeballs, link clicks and things that the brand is looking for. So we've tried to um, reposition a lot of those in arena assets to be social campaigns, but there's also the data collection element, right? Every brand wants leads and if it's BMW, they want people to come buy cars. So how can we help them do that? Let's get them some leads in a unique way. And um, that's, I think, social and digital are really, we're going to see a large growth area with more and more of those activations coming out of this pandemic, I think. With those paid social campaigns, you know, if a brand is wanting lead generations, are you advising, say, the sponsorship team of when we do this paid ad, let's go beyond just simply clicking a link to a landing page, but really going through the funnel process of let's make sure this paid campaign has something that we can tie back to to prove effectiveness. Because for the most part, I can't necessarily just say, okay, this many landing page views, I guess it was successful. I always want that end goal of being this many people signed up. We always need a conversion rate of some way in order to prove the effectiveness of our paid spend. 100%. I think there's the landing page, but then there's also a data collection, whether it's like an Eloqua form or a form stack where you also allow the partner to maybe integrate some of the items that they want. So if we are speaking in the, the car category, what type of car do you own? When's the next time you plan on purchasing a car? Um, really kind of allowing the partner to work together and customizing what that form is, because that's how you really tell. We drove X amount of leads because we know they came from the Facebook ad and then they converted by completing the form within the microsite. So one of the things with all those leads and kind of that data that you mentioned, right? The data warehousing component of it is, I think, oversimplified for anyone who's sitting at that C-level and is becoming a extremely important aspect of the data process and having that one true number or one true data point. How has that been involved in your role and how has that been helpful in terms of some of these campaigns and building out data to really understand, hey, do you want to target hockey moms? Okay, we have these types of people. For us, um, the data warehouse has obviously been a huge project and it's something that you get very excited about when you think of the Amazons of the world and how specific and targeted you're getting with ads these days. Um, I think the sports industry is traditionally a little bit behind when it comes to customized, personalized marketing. And so that's been a big focus of mine since I got here is putting in place a data warehouse where we have a, I'll call it 360 degree view of a person. So we know Armand comes to the game he likes to sit in this section. He drinks Coors Light. He buys a jersey every year. And then when you think about that the next season, how much marketing, how much is marketing going to love that data set, right? Because they know let's hit our mom with a customized package that you buy a jersey with your season tickets and you get an incentive. You, we'll send you some single game ticket offers for Coors Light or whatever the beer is that you like and package that all together. That's something that uh, we're working with all of our vendors on is making sure that their sources are integrated with our data warehouse and that we can 
have some sort of unique identifier to tie those people together. So whether that's an email address or a phone number or a credit card, um, it's the, the million dollar ticket, I guess, to ultimately converting some marketing dollars into a much higher ROI at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think one of the key points you mentioned there is marketing, right? In terms of reaching that person in the way that they want to be reached, right? Now it's necessarily, you could also understand that if this fan lives out of state, out of country, potentially, if there are snowbirds, for example, um, mm-hmm. that you might want to tra- talk to them differently and offer them different opportunities, right? They may not be interested in a full season package if they live in Toronto or they live in Wyoming or something like that. But I think that's a very interesting way to look at it and kind of build out that process there. So that's very, very exciting for sure. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a very exciting project and something that you can't do it without the right technology partners involved. And I think that was in my first six months on the job, that's where I really spent the most of my time is evaluating all of our vendors and making sure that they're all going to play in the sandbox together in a nice way and work together to help us accomplish our goals. I like what you're saying about technology partners, getting everybody to play in their own sandbox. Uh, so with that analogy continuing on, I'm curious if there's any new toys that you've had to play with in the last year with the pandemic uh, causing a lot of teams to need to push more things to digital. You know, the Thunder, we've uh, had a lot of success early on with Rover IO, uh, which was a great way to integrate some game formats into our mobile app. And it's going to allow for so many other things, especially from uh, a targeting standpoint around the arena with some notifications that we'll be able to do. Curious, anything that you were able to add to the Arizona Coyotes sandbox, if you will, over this last year? Yeah, I think the the big one that sticks out to me is we were lucky enough to, with um, our ownership group. We have a smaller team than some of the other NHL clubs with BI staff. And so we went with the approach, if, if we're going to have a smaller headcount, we need to have the technology in place to allow us to do some of the more technical items. And we've partnered with um, Stellar Algo. They're a company based out of Canada that a uh, customer data platform that has allowed us to do a lot of the lead scoring, retention scoring, and then really that full 360 degree picture of a fan profile is something that we're working with them on. Um, they have a unique build out within their system called a cohort builder where you can, instead of uh, somebody on the BI team writing a query and getting that list out of the data warehouse, someone like a marketing manager can go into their system and basically it's like shopping on Amazon. I want customers who haven't purchased a ticket this upcoming season, but have purchased in the past three seasons. And they've come to a game from January through February in a normal season. And that tool has really empowered us to give the rest of the organization the tools at their fingertips to go out and build a list and then also analyze those lists. Um, We've just spun up a Facebook campaign via Stellar Algo into our Facebook ad system. And the ROI from their system versus just Facebook traditional marketing and lookalike audiences night and day is similar to other vendors in the space, just their targeting capabilities with having access to our data warehouse and then the ability to segment those individuals on the marketing side is huge. Very nice. And we're going to have to bleep their name until they pay some sponsorship dollars, but Perfect. that is good to know. Right. Yeah. We, we will good. unlock it as soon as the dollars come in. Happy to do that. No free ads. Another toy that we've played around with in this last year, and I think you're probably familiar with this uh, down in Phoenix based on activity that I see on your Twitter feed, but that's QR codes. 
that was a toy or a tool that seemed like it was going away. Teams didn't find much success in it. And then when the pandemic happens, it seems QR codes are popping up everywhere. Uh, it seems like that that might be the case in Phoenix as well, too. Where have you started testing out QR codes? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you bring that up, Will, because pre-pandemic, one of our graphic designers, every time we asked him to make a QR code, he's like, God, I just hate these things. These are so stupid. And then now we, you can't turn around without seeing a QR code. But we've taken them, and our venue is cashless and contactless as much as possible. The QR codes is kind of the avenue for that, similar to going out to eat a lot of restaurants lately. Uh, the other w place that we've started using QR codes is within our broadcast. So we have a couple drops as part of our local RSN deal within games. So point your camera at the screen and play along with Yotes Play. Yotes Play is our version of kind of predictive gaming and daily fantasy. And that's one area where I think QR codes will continue to probably see an increase is within broadcast just because there's such a wide reach there. And I'm curious on that with the, you know, you mentioned that Yotes Play, I guess, like what has the you know, what has the conversion rate been? What is the, the level of engagement been? Has that been something that you've seen steady increase on? Or is this something that you guys are going to try to implement into like different things? I know with the Chiefs for ours, for our playoffs, we did QR codes on posters around the city to try to get people to have information. Is that something you guys are going to continue to develop? Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a big carrot for especially if um, sports gambling ever becomes legal in Arizona, we're going to have a pool of people that we know are kind of interested in that segment of engagement. And um, as far as the Yotes Play initiative, that's something we launched initially in the bubble for the postseason. And it was a second screen experience. It was very successful in the playoffs. And then this season, uh, funny enough, our naming rights partner is a tribal community who has casinos. And so it was a natural tie-in to make up a lot of that make good value that um, you wouldn't get from a traditional naming rights partnership and something they're very excited about as well because there is similar to what we were talking about earlier there's a, a component where they get some of the data capture as well so marketing leads for us but also for our naming rights partner which is great cole i want to ask you about figuring out who your fans are in phoenix and uh, the story that you tell when you're talking to sponsors or really anybody who uh, wants to know why should I be interested in the Coyotes. The reason I ask that is Javier Gutierrez, your new CEO, I heard him on a webinar recently and he had given some great anecdotal evidence to say, you know what? Phoenix is a hockey town and his stories were really compelling and it made me believe that Phoenix is a hockey town. That comes from more of an anecdotal side. What have you done on your side to prove that point from an actual data statistical side of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, as I alluded to, hockey the hard way. This franchise has definitely had its challenges, and a lot of them may be due to arena location and just a tumultuous past. But I think Phoenix is a, a sports town. It may be a lot of transplants. Uh, we have a ton of people that grew up in the Midwest and now live in yeah. Phoenix, but um, there's also the, we have the unique aspect similar to Florida with a lot of snowbirds. So maybe not so much this year, but there is a large portion of Canadians who winter in Arizona and they come to hockey games and they're true hockey fans. So I think we, we still have some work to do, obviously, on the growing uh, our fan base, but we've done a terrific job with, I think our, I can't remember the exact number, but we're the, I think it's fourth in the country in terms of states 
with the largest amount of youth hockey participation from girls. So it's something that we've invested in very heavily at the youth level. And uh, we're continually looking at ways that we can grow our fan base from. We've been in the Valley 25 years. So someone like Armand, who is a, a Jets fan, they might still have a little passion for the Coyotes. But you think of other teams, we haven't been here for multi-generations yet. We're just starting to really see those people who grew up as a Coyotes fan that now they have a disposable income, they have a family and they can come out to games. I think it, it just takes a little time for franchises and new markets unless you're a, a Vegas and you make to the Stanley Cup in your first year. With what Wayne Gretzky did for hockey in California and LA, right? The youth building and kind of that, that development is super important. That's one thing that like the Chiefs are very focused on is building up that youth demo, right? Because the under 18 demo is very different than what it was 10 to 15 years ago in terms of that demo, not necessarily those specific people. Um, but I guess, how is that something that is part of your strategy in terms of building new fans, right? In terms of creating new opportunities for them, experiences, has that been something that's been part of your um, your strategy or is that something that, you're, that you've seen in the data that potentially is an opportunity for growth? 100%. We, uh, we recently launched like an adult learn to play program as well. So converting people that may be sitting on the sidelines are like, Hey, I always wanted to try hockey. And it's something our hockey development group is very, has a lot of success with. I think another thing, just going back to the BI conversation from earlier is we're working on integrating our youth hockey data into our data warehouse so that we can track, Hey, Armand has two kids who plays in our little howlers program. What is their ROI over their lifetime? And so it's definitely been a focus of, the youth, but now we're really honing in on what that data means and how much money are those people spending with us long-term. My God, that's, that's Brittany Ramos's music. The LA Ram snake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so Brittany is dying to ask a question. Brittany, I've got you on speaker now. So... Uh, Cole, we needed to bring Brittany on so she could at least ask one question. When we were setting up for this conversation, when all of our audio worked, there was conversation about influencers. And as we know, there's nothing Brittany loves more than talking about influencers. So had to bring her on. She's on speaker. Brittany, this is your moment to shine. Uh, go for it. Awesome. Well, I caught the the end of what you were saying, Cole, about uh, the adult learn to play and just kind of your your youth focus and and fan focus. But in the articles I was reading about you guys and what you're doing in Arizona, and you talk about kind of continuing to grow your fan base here, especially kind of looking at that Gen Z millennial audience. And, you know, it really highlighted your guys' efforts into diving into influencer marketing. And can you kind of walk us through where that, uh, you know, where you got inspired, where you guys were inspired to kind of dive into that and also kind of what you guys have been doing on that front. Yeah, I think the, the inspiration just came from, frankly, Instagram, right? The, uh, all the mommy bloggers that make money posting diaper brands and things of the sort. But for us, um, we've taken a similar approach where we've identified individuals within the Phoenix DMA or that are visiting uh, also, a lot of athletes that spend their winters here and have a large following. We invite them out to a game, complimentary tickets, and show them a great experience in exchange for a couple posts on their feeds. And 
Uh, we've seen a lot of success with the launch of the reverse retro program. Um, Ashley Brewer, who's, I think she's on Sports Center, she's a host. She grew up in Arizona and she actually wore the reverse retro jersey on Sports Center a couple weeks ago. And so it's just kind of finding those little nuggets of people that have ties to the Coyotes and how can we leverage their reach, not only for ticket sales, but just for an increase in kind of the brand perception. How was that, Brittany? I could not hear. But <laughs> I, bet it was, I bet it was an amazing answer. Oh, well, I can't wait to play it back to you. Yeah. Then. Uh, it, was, it was a great uh, answer. Brittany, uh, in that case, then, are you okay if I let you go and let you know? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought I held it up to the audio. That was good. That was great, though. Yeah, okay. You could hear? Great. Wonderful. So, Colt, you recently had a job posting uh, for a spring internship position for BI. Focuses on data visualization, CRM, et cetera. So, Given your unique background of having been on the sponsorship side, on the data side, involved with technology now, I guess my question is more not only just for the students who would apply for this internship, but aspiring sports biz professionals who are maybe trying to pivot from ticket sales to something more data focused or CR. What are you trying to make sure that that spring intern has already coming into the job? Uh, what kind of knowledge would you recommend people do on their own? And then, you know, after the three or six month period of the internship, what is it that you want to make sure that he or she ends up learning after that internship is over? What do you think could be the biggest takeaways? Yeah, great question. Well, for on the technicality side, I think anybody who wants to work in BI or data, there's so many things out there on the internet that you can teach yourself a lot of the skills. Um, Tableau, for one, has a great online learning system. Uh, we, I went through a program with, uh, I think it's called Data Camp, to kind of teach myself SQL. Um, that's another great one. And then Google Analytics, Facebook ads, all of those things have online tutorials and things. And I think the, the world is really your oyster with YouTube in terms of how you can learn things. And then also just, I mean, Microsoft Excel, it's the most basic analytics program, but you'd be surprised how much stuff is still done in Excel and just being a wizard with the lookups and macros and things of the sort, that goes a long way. And then to answer your second question, Will, I think from my internship experiences, um, I interned with Real Salt Lake in their corporate activation department uh, one summer. And coming out of that internship, I learned I don't want to throw t-shirts into the stands and I don't want to work in corporate activation, but if I can have that individual and the student who goes through the internship either learn that, hey, I am really passionate about analytics and that's something I want to pursue a career in. If so, maybe I can go down a path of getting Salesforce certified. I can get Tableau certified or, hey, I had a great time with the Coyotes. I learned what it's like to be in a professional sports office. Maybe analytics isn't my thing. I want to be more on the marketing side. Um, so really just getting that off that opportunity to learn what it's like to work in a professional sports environment. Well, that's great advice for any incoming interns, not only at the Arizona organization, but really any sports organization. And with that, let's keep the advice train rolling by ending our interview the same way we do all of our interviews, which is a quote from Charlie Tremendous Jones that says, you will be the same person five years from now, except for the books you read and the people you meet. So Cole, 
What's any book that you've read in the last five years you'd like to recommend or any piece of advice you received from someone in the sports business industry that you'd like to pass along? Yeah, I think my favorite piece of advice that I often tell students that it was actually from the sports MBA program, Armand, a, a gentleman by the name of Mike Kitts came and spoke in our class. And for those of you who know Mike, he oversees all corporate partnerships for the Golden State Warriors and has had a very successful career. But his advice was the sports industry is all about who can you be in a car with going to a conference or something for six hours. And when you get to that destination, you still want to go grab a beer with that person. I think that's something really important that while the technical and uh, you really, your knowledge base is very important. It's also about being a good team player and just being a good person. And that's uh, a big focus of what I look for in hiring somebody. I can teach you all the technical elements or somebody on the team can teach you those, but just being a hard worker and having a good attitude is, it goes such a long way. Um, and then a, a book that I read uh, six months ago or so, but I think has some interesting elements is it's called Raise Your Game by Alan Stein. Alan Stein is, uh, I think he's been a personal trainer for Kevin Durant and he's worked with Kobe Bryant and some of the great. So just some really unique things about kind of how you should look at mindfulness and just your personal well-being and how that can impact your your career is, is a great, great read, especially for somebody who's a sports fan. Well, I love the Mike Kitts tie in there. I learned a lot from Mike Kitts in his little session that he had at San Diego State for us. And then on top of that, the book by Alan, you know, um, Razor Game is, uh, is, is definitely a great book for sure. So, well, Cole, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know I learned a lot and took a lot away from what you're doing over there is pretty great uh, in Arizona. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. And he is the VP of Strategy and Business Intelligence, Cole Cook. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.